Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. We are going to continue our series entitled Heaven and Hell, beginning with the end in mind, because all sorts of people have different ideas about what happens after we die. Some say that that's it. There's no reason to talk about eternity. We're just worm food. It's just over. That's it. There's no need to talk about the life to come. Other people believe that if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you'll get into heaven. But if they don't, then... You know, some people believe in reincarnation, some people believe in purgatory, but all sorts of different people have different ideas about heaven. Anybody uh, name that tune? Imagine, anybody know who sang that song? John Lennon. What year was that? 71. All the way back to 19. 19- 71, and the world was going through some challenges. We had Idi Amin was there at the uh, in Uganda. Nixon was president. Charles Manson was convicted. And in a time of challenge, John Lennon asked his listeners to imagine. Imagine all the enjoy the song, Imagine, including me. Maybe it's because I'm a dreamer. Maybe it's because I like the piano. Or maybe it's because he has this vision of a better future. See, although I like this song, Imagine, I just think that Mr. Lennon didn't quite imagine far enough. That his dream wasn't quite big enough, although he started off really well. He wrote this memorable tune. His vision was too small. He didn't quite imagine big enough. See, we don't simply imagine a world without war. We imagine a world of great beauty. We don't imagine a world without heaven. We imagine heaven coming to earth. We don't simply imagine peace with humanity, but peace with God. We just don't look overlook this present suffering. We look forward to the life to come. See, that's what the Apostle Paul did. He imagined. He dreamed. He considered that this present suffering is not worth comparing the future glory. That's what he wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 8. We read this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the future glory that will be revealed in us. Paul says, imagine, compare, consider, think about our present sufferings in light of our future glory. See, John Lennon was right. We must imagine. We must dream. We must consider and compare. We must think about the life to come. We must begin with the end 
in mind. See, long before John Lennon wrote the song, Imagine Another John, the Apostle John wrote a vision of heaven. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, John, one of Jesus' closest friends, wrote a vivid, accurate picture of heaven. And he didn't write it to people just going through difficult times. He wrote it to people going through great sufferings. The, the Roman government was, was murdering, martyring many, many hundreds of Christians. It was a time of great suffering. And to encourage and to strengthen the believers, John, the apostle, invited his readers to imagine, to dream, to picture a better, brighter future. To picture our future glory. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's the final two chapters of the Bible. It's in the back of your your pew Bible. The words will also be on the screen. But in it, we see a beautiful picture of heaven. An accurate and trustworthy picture of heaven. And to help us today imagine our future, I'd like us to stand and read it together. The words will be on the screen, so if you would just join me and stand in the reading of God's Word as we read this initial picture of heaven, and then we'll dig deeper together. So let's read this together. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth, for the first earth and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Please have a seat. Write these down. These are the words that are trustworthy and true in a world that's confused about eternity, uncertain about the life to come. This is trustworthy and true. This is what you can expect in heaven. The first thing that we notice in verse 1 is that we don't go to heaven, but heaven comes down to us. I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away. There's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Heaven comes down to earth. The same way that God came down at creation to to dwell with Adam and Eve. The same way Jesus came down at the incarnation to dwell among us. So God comes down to be with his people. Heaven comes down to earth. Now, I know this may sound a bit confusing, but there are actually two heavens described in the Bible. There's the present heaven and the future heaven. 
The present heaven is a place where we go after we die. It's a place physically separate from this earth. It's, it's, a, it's a place, it's a beautiful place. It's a place where we will be in God's presence and love. We sang about it earlier. In the present heaven, we will experience God's presence and love. Paul writes that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life, neither the angels nor demons. Our last breath here will be our first breath in heaven. The present heaven is what Stephen saw at his stoning. I don't know if you remember, but when Stephen was stoned in Acts, he, he looked up in the midst of his stoning and he saw heaven. He looked up and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That's the present heaven. That's the place that we will go after we die. But that's not what John described. John, inspired by God, described the future heaven when Christ returns to earth and makes all things new. It's a new earth. It's a new heaven. In the future, God comes down to renew the earth. The Greek word is translated kainos. Let me hear you say kainos. Kainos is translated renew, restore, recreate. Paul uses this word kainos when he wrote, you are a new creation in Christ. You're kainos. You're not completely new physically. You're renewed, you're restored, and someday you'll have a resurrected physical body. See, God does not destroy heaven. He doesn't make heaven and earth ex nihilo, out of nothing. He recreates, he restores his present physical earth. Peter said it this way. He described it as a fire. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now some interpret this to mean total destruction. Most, but most fires don't destroy everything. I mean, if you think about some forest fires, some fires produce greater growth. Think about a wildfire. A naturally caused wildfire actually benefits the ecosystem. It, it returns nutrients to the soil. It kills unwanted bugs. It allows sunlight to reach the forest floor. See, that's what happened when Christ returns. The old earth will pass away, but not completely. It's not all going to burn. God will renew and restore his original creation in the future heaven. God comes down to renew and restore this physical earth. Now, I know this might be hard to comprehend. It's kind of like going on vacation in Florida. I don't know if you've ever had a trip to Florida, but if you were to vacation in Florida and take a plane to Florida, what you think about on your vacation to Florida, you think about the beach and the sunshine and maybe going to Disney World. But let's say on your trip from Minneapolis to Florida, on a, pl- on a flight, you got a layover in Chicago. And if you tell your friends where you're going on vacation, you talk about the beach, talk about your family and friends down in Florida, talk about going to Disney World, you won't even mention the layover in Chicago. See, that's kind of like the present heaven. It's kind of like a layover for our future destination in this beautiful place that God has prepared for us. It's this physical earth renewed and restored. See, heaven is not some alternative universe. God is not 
completely destroying this creation. He's renewing and restoring and redeeming his creation. Just as we will have a renewed physical body, a resurrected body, so there'll be a renewed physical earth. John described, in his vision of heaven, a physically beautiful place. A physically beautiful place. Using words familiar to us, John the Apostle sings this song about heaven. Heaven is like a new Jerusalem, the holy city, a bride, beautifully dressed for her bridegroom. Heaven is like a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. Heaven's walls are made of precious stones, the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Heaven is physically beautiful. It's like a city, it's like gold, it's like a wedding, it's like a feast. It's like transparent glass. It's like words can't even describe the beautiful place that God has prepared for us. See, that's why we have to imagine. That's why we have to dream. That's why we have to consider and compare and think about our future destination. See, most of us are attracted to beauty. Most of us go to enjoy beautiful places. That's why we go to the cabin by the lake. That's why we go to the beach, to the mountains. Most of us enjoy, we're even refreshed by beautiful places. I don't know, have you ever been to a place that you would consider beautiful and you get to that spot and you, you go to your family or your friends and you just say, man, this place is beautiful. It's like, wow, it doesn't get any better than this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to the mountains or maybe to the cabin? Or maybe it was the ocean or some of the seven wonders of the world, like the Grand Canyon, or, or maybe it was the family farm, or maybe it was the boundary waters. You get to this physically beautiful place, and you say to yourself or your family and friends, you just say, wow, this place is gorgeous. It doesn't get any better than this. It's beautiful. Anybody ever been to a place like that? Raise your hand. Everyone, it's beautiful. And you get to that spot, and you say, wow, this place is beautiful. I remember it was just a couple of years ago, I was at a friend's cabin right here in Minnesota. And it was a late August night, and we went out on the pontoon boat, and it was a clear night, not that windy. And I was hanging out with my buddies, we were on the pontoon, uh, pontoon boat, and then the northern lights started to dance across the sky. And we just said, wow, it does not get any better than this. This place is beautiful. That's what heaven is like, only better. It's better than your pictures of Hawaii. It's better than the trip to the mountains. It's better than going to the Grand Canyon. It's better than your lake house. It's, it's better than the family farm. It's even more beautiful than the most beautiful places here on earth. In fact, the Bible says this is just a prelude of the beauty that is to come. It's just an appetizer. It's just a shadow of the beauty that we will see in heaven. Paul says it this way. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can even comprehend the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Earlier I mentioned this illustration of going to Florida for vacation, that you leave from Florida and, and then you go, I'm sorry, you leave from Minneapolis to go to Florida for the beach and the beauty of Florida with this layover in Chicago. But a more accurate illustration would be, we leave Minneapolis to go to this physically beautiful place. We have a layover in Chicago, and we return to the familiar, beautiful places of home back in Minneapolis. 
Only they're renewed. They're restored. There's no sin. There's no death. There's no sickness. There's no pain. There's a restored, renewed, physical earth. It's familiar, yet completely new. It looks like something that we're aware of, but it's absolutely mind-boggling, beautiful, and gorgeous. It's a renewed earth. God takes the beautiful places that we love, and he renews them. He restores him. In heaven, we will return to a completely new home. We'll leave, and then we'll return to a radically different place. It will be familiar. It will be like this. John describes it will be trees. There'll be a river. It's a physical place, but it's radically different. In heaven, there's no death. There's no more death in heaven. There's no curse. We'll never have to say goodbye to another loved one in heaven because there's no death. There's no pause. There's no night in heaven. There's no pause in activities, no weariness, no need for sleep. There's no temple. There's no single place of worship because everywhere you go is holy ground and you see God's glory in heaven. There's no temple, there's no lamp, no sun, because God himself will be the light. There's no crying, no mourning, no pain. There's no pain in heaven. Some of you are here today and you're in pain. You got migraines, you got a backache, you've got cancer, you got sickness, you have emotional pain, you've lost a loved one, you're going through a challenging time relationship with your kids or with your parents. You're going through some heartache in heaven. There's no pain. There's no crying, no mourning, no sickness, no wars. This is what heaven is like. Heaven is a place where there's no fighting, no military, no conflict, no wars. John Lennon sang a song about about a place with no countries, but John the Apostle sings about nations that are healed. This is what he says in verse 22. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The nations will not be in conflict. They'll be made whole, healed, worshiping the true king. This is how God describes heaven. His words are trustworthy and true. There's no pain, no suffering, no death, no crying, no temple, no night, no lamp. There's no sin. Can you imagine a place with no sin? There's no sin in heaven. There's no sin around us. There's no sin inside of us. There's no knowledge of sin. I mean, think think about some of the sins that you've struggled with. Some of the sins that you've committed. Maybe you've lied or cheated, or you've been greedy, or you've lusted, or you've gossiped. There's no awareness. There's no knowledge of sin. It's not around us. It's not inside of us. We have a perfect relationship with God. Perfect peace with God. Nothing separating us from God. Perfect peace with one another and perfect peace with creation. There's even going to be animals in heaven. All sorts of different animals. I mean, there may not be cats, but there will be dogs in heaven. But we got to imagine. You got to think about. You got to dream. You got to compare and consider. Consider. This present suffering, not worth comparing with the future glory because heaven is this beautifully physical place. It's it's beautiful. There's no death, no wars, no pain, no sadness, no suffering, no war. It's like a city. It's like a feast. It's like a wedding. It's like the earth, only better. But the best 
thing about heaven is that God will be with us. This is what we read in verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There's a lot of loud voices in the book of Revelation. This is the 12th and final loud voice, the most important voice. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself, emphasizing God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. God will not seem distant or aloof. He'll be so close to you that he'll wipe every tear from your eyes. Later in Scripture, we read that we will see God's faith. Face. Verse 23. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve them and they will see his face. We will see God's face with our physical, resurrected eyes in heaven. Can you imagine seeing God's face? Now, this is hard to do for many of us because most people that we read about in the Bible that see God's face, it's not a good story. You think about Moses on top of Mount Sinai. He got the Ten Commandments. He wanted to see God's face, but his glory was so big, he could, God passed by him. He only saw his back. Or Isaiah, he had a vision of God. When he saw God, he dropped to his knees, you know, begging for mercy because he knew he was a sinner. Or the, the high priest, when he goes to the Holy of Holies to have the presence of God, he's got a rope tied around an ankle in, in case he drops dead. But when we see God's face, we're not going to drop down dead. We're not going to beg for mercy. We're going to see him. What, what will it be like? Imagine if you are in the presence of God, you see his face. Will you cry? Will you dance? Will you sing? Will you reach out and hug your Savior? Can you imagine what it will feel like to be in the presence of God and to be so close to him that you see his face? There's a story about uh, a blind... There's a story about a kind-hearted king who finds a blind destitute orphan in the woods uh, as he was hunting in a forest. It's a story that was first written back in 1871. And the story is about a king who takes this blind boy into his palace and adopts him as his son and provides for his care. And he sees that this blind boy receives the finest education. The boy is extremely grateful and he loves the king, his new father, with all of his heart. And when the boy turns 20, a surgeon performs an operation on his eyes. For the first time, the boy is able to see. The boy, once a starving orphan, has for some years been, in the royal, been a royal prince at home in the king's palace. But something wonderful has happened, something far greater than magnificent food, gardens, libraries, music, and the wonders of the palace. The boy is finally able to see the father he loves. And the author writes, I will not attempt to describe the joys that will overwhelm the soul of this fortunate young man when he first sees that king whose manly beauty, goodness, power, and magnificence he has heard so much about. Nor will I attempt to describe the other joys which will fill his soul when he beholds his own personal 
beauty and the magnificence of his priestly garments that he has only heard so much about before, much less will I attempt to picture his exquisite and unspeakable happiness when he sees himself adopted into the royal family, honored and loved by all, together with all the pleasures of life within his reach. That's what heaven will be like. Once we were blind, but now we will see all the beauty, all the grace, all the glory of God. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to seeing God's face, seeing the beauty of creation restored, seeing this physical place with no more death or crying or tears or pain. I'm looking forward to heaven. Are you? Are you looking forward to heaven? Can you imagine what that day will be like when we all get to heaven? When we all see Jesus and we sing and shout the victory, can you imagine, are you looking forward to heaven? Because Paul was right. This present suffering is not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Because heaven is our hope. Heaven is our joy. Heaven is our home. But we must imagine We must dream. We must consider and compare. We must think about heaven. There's this saying, it goes something like this. You're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I don't know if you ever heard that phrase before. You're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's wrong. It is an inaccurate statement. A true statement is this. The more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you will do. The more clear you are about your future destination, the more earthly good that you will do because heaven gives us perspective on our suffering. Heaven gives us hope that God's going to make all things new. Heaven gives us peace that Jesus is control. He's coming down to bring justice and to rule the earth. Heaven provides for us a reason to care for this physical world. See, the more heavenly-minded we are, the more earthly good we will do. I'm reminded of a story of the early Christians. Some of you may not be aware of this, but over the course of the first few hundred years, the Christian church grew dramatically, right? You know, in the early 100s, it was about 6-8% of the Roman world was Christian, but 150-200 years later, about half of the Roman world believed in Jesus. It's just a staggering historical fact, significant growth, and historians ask the questions, why? Why did the church grow so Fast. How did so many people come to faith in Jesus? And many theologians and historians point back to the Christian belief in heaven. Because the pagans of that day, the unbelievers, did not have a substantial or significant answer to the question, what happens after we die? They were afraid of death. 
Didn't know what to expect of death. In fact, many believed that the spirit and body were separated when you died. That the spirit went to a place, that the body was bad, the spirit went to someone else. But the Christians had a clear picture of heaven. They looked forward to the life to come. They had a future hope and they cared for the physical world. There were two plagues that swept through the Roman Empire in the early hundreds. And in those two plagues, each killed about 25% of the population. 25% of the population. Some estimates say that an average of 5,000 people died every day during these plagues, these two plagues. And while that was happening, the pagans fled. They ran for their lives. Doctors, city officials fled to the hills, but the Christians stayed in the city. The Christians cared for the sick. The Christians didn't fear death because of their hope of heaven. They cared for those that were hurting and in need, and they knew that the best was yet to come. They didn't separate the body from the spirit. They cared for both body and spirit, and many people came to faith in Jesus because the early Christians considered the present suffering not worth comparing with the future glory, and they risked their lives for the sake of their pagan neighbors. We must believe. We must imagine. We must consider and compare this present suffering with the glory, the future glory that is compared, that is coming. We must live our lives as if the best is yet to come, because it is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this trustworthy and true picture of heaven. And Father, I ask that you would do a work among us to renew our understanding of our future destination. That you would enable us to see clearly the beauty that we will behold when we see you face to face. When we walk into a place where there's no more death or sin or sadness or mourning. And may our vision of heaven inspire us to live your kingdom values here on earth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.